You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. In this series, we're, we're talking about four biblical principles for a strong comeback. And, and the reason why we're doing this is because every single one of us have setbacks in life. And I felt like, I felt like this is a really key time for us because, you know, We've gone through a last year and a half of a number of different setbacks, but that all of us, I think, at the same time, are felt a setback. So if there's a time to talk about a a comeback, it'd be when we're all kind of going through the same things. But everyone at different degrees, but we've all experienced all of a sudden this last year is like a setback. And then you watch the news for like five minutes, you're going, anybody else like tensing up every time you turn on the news going, what's next? What's happening? What what, what more is going on? Is there another setback? Because we've been, we're sensitive because we've been through a season of setbacks. But I felt like, man, we're launching into something just as as a church. We're launching into something I feel globally as a church that's coming. And I believe it's the strongest comeback in history of the church. The Bible prophesies it in the the last days that there's going to be a stronger comeback for, for the kingdom of God than ever. And I felt like, let's get on the front end of that wave and talk about, uh, talk about the strong comebacks and learn four biblical principles for a strong comeback. Because I believe if you understand the principles of a comeback, that your setback is just a setup for a strong comeback. Amen? That what your life is going to be, life is going to be hard sometimes. Life is going to give us the setbacks. But if we understand principles for a strong comeback, then we are going to be able to, I don't know, with faith, walk in a strong comeback and know that setbacks don't take us out. But setbacks are just a setup for a strong comeback. Last week we learned principle number one, and, and all of this, these four principles are, all start with G because that's super extra anointed. If you, everything starts with the same letter, that's not true. That's just preacher talk. Uh, it just means that you'll be able to uh, remember it more. That's all. That's all it means. But it starts with a G. The first one we learned last week is we need God. And that there are certain setbacks that seem like impossible situations. What do you do when you go to the doctor and the doctor you know, diagnoses you with a terminal disease? That's a setback. And that, and when the doctor says there's no cure or there's no possibility of ever coming back from this, we're just going to do whatever we can to make you come. That is an impossible situation. And in certain situations like that and others where it seems impossible, there's certain situations where our only comeback is we need God. But thank God that we serve a God who all things are possible. Thank God we serve a God who's active and alive and well. And did you know that in the last, just in the last year and a bit, there have been multiple, multiple, I don't even know how, we've lost count, but multiple stage four cancers, impossible, doctors saying there's no hope, and then all of a sudden through a simple prayer card, and we just praise a congregation, all of a sudden they have a comeback, and they go back to the doctor, and the doctor goes, I don't know if we misdiagnosed you, I don't know what happened, there doesn't seem to be any reason for this whatsoever, but your cancer is gone. If you read the Bible, you'll begin to see that there's impossible situations that when you're standing, you know, at the edge of the Red Sea and there's just a sea in front of you and the entire Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world chasing you down to take you out. That's a situation where you need God. 
and then God does the impossible and parts the waters and you walk across. That there's impossible situations where all of a sudden that, there, that, that we need God. And if you're in that impossible situation, I don't know what your situation is, but if it's an impossible situation, uh, you need to know that there is a possibility. We always have hope because we have a God who loves, who's, who's good, who cares, who, who the name of Jesus has the power to raise the dead. We see that in, 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 in the book of Acts. We see, I mean, we serve an amazing God who will never, never give up on you. Amen? Come on. And we need, sometimes there's situations we need God. Now the second, um, so I'm going to give the second one to you up front and then we're going to talk about it. This one, it might sound a little surprising to, to all of you, um, but the second G, number one, we need God. Number two is we need grief. And you're going, what? I thought we're talking about comebacks. But we need uh, a second principle for a strong comeback is grief. Let's, let's talk about grief is the appropriate response to a loss. And grief is the realization that something has been lost and the recognition that that loss has impacted me. Okay, something you love Something you feel you need, you lost. And, a, and a, an appropriate response is grief. And when we don't properly grieve our losses, the compound effect uh, prevents us from having the emotional resilience we need for the comeback. Grief really is the pathway to healing for the heart. And we don't, we don't often talk about this in, in, in church, and we're not like, this is not something, this is not a topic that we typically talk about, but we need to understand, in the comeback season, we need to understand how to properly process in order, you know, the setbacks so that we can have the resilience necessary to get to the comebacks. Jesus announced his ministry this way. It's interesting. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 4. Uh, he's reading the book of Isaiah, and this is before he launches into his, his three-year uh, ministry. But he's reading this, and this is how he announced that, okay, it's time for his ministry to begin. He, he said this. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind, and to preach um, to the prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee, which Jubilee is a season of comebacks, by the way, a season of parties and, and, and of, of comeback, for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. So this is Jesus' proclamation of the launch of his ministry and, and, and his purpose, the reason why he's giving the purpose as to why he came in flesh on earth. And he said, this is why. These are some of the whys. And one of the things that he says is he came to bring healing for the brokenhearted. That he's not, he didn't just come to deliver us from the impossible situations, but he came to bring healing to the brokenhearted. That when we lose something, he came to bring healing to the broken, brokenhearted. Now, he also, as part of the healing process, he also taught us and showed us, modeled for us, how to grieve properly. And the story we're going to look at today is, is 
starts, you know, in the midst of the story. It's, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, in John chapter 11. And in fact, we, we uh, Jorlin and I, we would give our boys, um, you know, we'd say, okay, we will pay, instead of paying an allowance for, for doing chores around the house, we said we'll pay allowances for them to read books and, and, and to memorize scripture. So guess which verse they memorized first and said, I memorized a verse. It's this one. John 11, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it's simply this. Jesus wept. And they, so they, they come back and they quote this. Jesus wept, and they'd say, see, I memorized a verse, pay up. And we're like, okay. And then I'd, I'd look at them and said, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to memorize all of Psalm 119. Go. Sassy one. Anyway, um, in case all of you did, you ever like, what does that have to do? Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Just anyway, a few verses there. Um, but in the midst of this, it's interesting, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in, in the Bible, but it may be one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Because in the story, and you might know the story, we're going to go through and we'll walk through the story. In this story, this is the story of, of Lazarus dying, and then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, knowing that he had the power to do so, knowing that he would, we'll see in a moment, he, he kind of spoke it, that he was going to do this, in spite of the fact that he knew that he could and he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, it still says Jesus wept. Amazing. Why would he weep if he knew that this wasn't a permanent situation. Why would he weep? Because grief is the appropriate response to a setback. Even when you have faith for the comeback. Did you hear what I just said? Grief is the appropriate response to a setback, even when you have faith for the comeback. Because let me, just, let me just get really raw for a moment. Sometimes us well-meaning, charismatic, faith-believing Christians, sometimes we get so heavenly weird. Is that okay? Sometimes we get so faith-focused, so heavenly strange. Like we just, we're so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. Sometimes we get, and sometimes we rebuke people who are grieving a setback because we think that their grief is a lack of faith. Come on. Am I talking to the right crowd? Because sometimes it's like, like, no, you just need to have faith. Just suck it up and have faith. You need to have faith. Jesus wasn't lacking faith, was he? And yet, you can grieve and have faith at the same time. We getting this? That the two really kind of go, we, we, you can't, you can get into one ditch or the other, and we'll see this in a moment, but Jesus walked this line right down the middle where he, he saw, and if you properly process the setbacks, there's going to be some grief involved, and there's going to be, if you properly process the setbacks, there's going to be some faith involved, and the two aren't opposite. But let's look at this. Look at this. John 11, verse 1, this is how the story starts. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, 
And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whom, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, which other of the gospel writers called her a prostitute. They didn't call her by name. They called her a prostitute, which I find fascinating because look at this. It says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. In other words, I want you just to pay attention. This, this is going to be for somebody here. So you just pay attention to this. Look at who Jesus's friends were. Huh? Look who Jesus hung out with. And there might be somebody watching or somebody sitting in this room and thinking that you're not good enough to be friends with Jesus. But I want to tell you that the people he hung out with, the people he called his closest friends, weren't the churchgoers, weren't the, weren't the Pharisees, weren't the priests all dressed in robes. The people he was hanging around with, no right rabbi in their right mind would hang around with that. And they accused him of that. Let me be accused of the same things. Let our church be accused of the same things. Nobody is beyond the reach of a loving, good God. Come on. Now, in this story, Lazarus represents the loss of anything you love. Okay, so Lazarus, whenever you see his name, it just represents loss of anything you love. So you can insert whatever loss something that you loved in there in the midst of this story. And here's, here's the truth is that Lazarus or, or this loss is the door to the heart. And, and loss creates this door to the heart and, and it triggers uh, emotions that sometimes we, we aren't sure how to process. But just like it's foolish to dismiss your feelings for blind faith. What I mean by that is to ignore what you're feeling to saying, I'm just standing in faith. I'm just standing in faith and denying what you're actually feeling. It's also foolish to get trapped in the other ditch, which is just to be trapped in your feelings. Right? Where everything's about what you feel and what, what, you know, all, the, all the rest of it. So you don't want to get, you want to have this healthy balance of faith and also learning how to process your emotions, not denying them, denying emotions, denying grief, denying loss is not properly processing. We okay? We get this? Watch this now. It says in verse 11, it says, now this is what uh, Jesus is saying to his disciples. Look at this. I want you to see the faith Jesus had beforehand. Our friend Lazarus, he said, Jesus saying to his disciples, has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. And the Lord had been speaking of his death. And I think, you know, I'd like to put in Kelly's parentheses right here. Jesus probably rolled his eyes and says, guys, like, because look, at he's like, they thought he meant natural sleep. And he's like, guys, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> like, like, and and for, for your sakes, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And they're probably thinking, what? Jesus announced beforehand what his intentions were, that he was going to raise Lazarus. He's just sleeping. It's just a temporary thing. He fully intended to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why did he grieve? Because the presence of grief doesn't mean there's an absence of faith. And we often dismiss our feelings or we get trapped in them. And either way, it's unhealthy. We need both. 
And look at, look at further to see that Jesus had faith. Look what he says to Lazarus' sister. He says, uh, it starts in verse 21. Uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I just want to pause there for a second. Because this is what happens when, this is the danger of what happens when we get trapped in our feelings. Is that grief is going to create an emotional roller coaster. All right? Um, anybody lose somebody they love? I have, I've been there. I know some of you have lost some that you've loved, you know, recently. Hope I'm, I'm thinking of you and your dad. All that. Like, there's, there's a number of us that, that we've suffered loss. And you'll know this in the process, you'll know this in the process of grieving that your emotions just kind of go all over the place. And you go from extreme sorrow of, of loss and to, you know, an extreme loneliness that comes with it to you, to you end up the emotions just kind of all over the place to where the place you get to anger, extreme anger, which is where Martha was at in her process of, of, of processing her own emotions. She's angry. And what happens is when you don't know how to, to process your emotions and, and what to do with all of this, and you don't expect this, is that when you have this anger come to you, you're looking for something or someone to blame. And in this case, Martha's looking at Jesus and saying, it's your fault. If you had been here, he would not have died. It's your fault. If you had come when we called you to, he would not have died. And, and look, at Jesus didn't even acknowledge that because Jesus, Jesus is processing, processing his own emotions. And he's not, look at, he's not looking to defend himself. He's not looking to do anything. He just allows her and knows that she's processing her emotions. And, and, and be careful when somebody beside you is processing the, these emotions of grief. Like, don't say stupid things. Like somebody said something stupid at my mom's funeral. And I, I literally clenched my fist and I was ready to, to deck them. And I was like, okay, they just don't know what to say. We don't know what to say when someone's grieving. And someone walked up to me and said, if your mom would have had enough faith, she would not have died. <laughs> and you know my mom and her faith. And like everything inside me is like, <laughs> I'll show you faith. <laughs> and wisdom, like, like here we go. <laughs> Come on, we, we say stupid things, and a lot of times we just well, I mean, so, I mean, people are going to say stupid things if you're processing your, your emotions, and you're going to say stupid things when you're processing your emotions, and Martha said something stupid. Jesus, it's your fault. But look, at, but then she says, she kind of catches herself, and then she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, watch, she's processing grief. At the same time, she knows that she serves the God of the possible, where all things are possible, that when in impossible situations, God can. Right? That's the power twins. We need God. Yes, we need to understand God, and she understands that. And then Jesus' response, he doesn't even acknowledge her, her blame. Jesus' response says, your brother will rise again. Proper grief, good grief, <laughs> is when you're able to process the pain of the present without losing hope for the future. Good grief is when you're able to process the pain, the present, 
without losing hope for the future. The writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Right? So there has to be, there's elements of hope. So you know you're processing properly through all of your emotions when you are able to process the pain of the present, not deny it, acknowledge it, process it, and still have hope for the future. Then we get to verse 33, and it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and, tr and, and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. And come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says this, Jesus wept. Look at it's this verse 35. Jesus wept after he said three times, I'm going to him, raise him from the dead. In the midst of all that, Jesus wept after, not before, after he said he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Which again just reiterates the fact that you can have faith and grief at the same time. But here's the, here's the truth. Every divine recovery begins internally. And, and you, need, you need to grieve what was so that you can grasp what's next. And in this story, Jesus models four elements of healthy grief. First element of healthy grief is authenticity. Authenticity. Jesus weeping reveals that he had feelings too. Jesus weeping reveals that he was real. And I'm wondering if what Martha's hope and Mary's hope and the disciples' hope of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead after he told them he would and they see him weeping, I'm thinking that they would have processed that and going, uh-oh. It's not going to happen because we don't know how to, we don't know as human beings how to combine the two, do we? Yet Jesus modeled this beautifully in this story. He modeled authenticity. And sometimes we become so faithfully focused that we deny what we're feeling now. But you can, you can have, Jesus had this authenticity. You can have hope for the future and faith for the future and still feel the pain of the present. And should, that's authenticity. Number two, Jesus modeled acceptance. Faith doesn't deny reality. It believes God can change it. Remember all this, this teaching, Pastor Ralph, all the teaching that we, we got for years in, in the faith movement, all the rest of it is, is don't say you're sick. Don't say you're, you're healed. You're, don't say you're sick. If you're sick, hello. You're sick. Acceptance. Jesus didn't deny that Lazarus was dead. He said, Lazarus is dead to his disciples, right? We read that. But faith doesn't deny reality. It just believes God can change it. It accepts the present state and the past loss, but it doesn't dwell there. You with me? Look at this. In, in 1 Samuel 16, 
Samuel being the prophet, and he, he anointed, he anointed uh, uh, Saul to be king, and then God rejected Saul and all the rest. Of it. I, look at this verse in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I rejected him as king over Israel? In other words, Samuel was getting stuck in his loss. And going, I'm, I look bad, I, I anointed him, I did all this kind of stuff, and now he's rejected by God, and he got stuck there. And God comes and wakes him up and says, listen, how long are you going to mourn? It's okay, God didn't say it's wrong for him to mourn. He says, how long? He's basically saying, come on. Because Samuel was getting stuck in the past. And he says, since I've rejected him as king of Israel, then he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I have chosen one of his sons to be king. See, this is what God does. If you get stuck in your past, God will get you focused on your future. If you get stuck in the future and denying the feelings of your past, you're going to go back to where Jesus says, and he says, I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And we're going to acknowledge here. We're not going to get stuck in either one. Don't keep revisiting what you can't revise. And you cannot receive what's coming to you in the future if you're still holding on to what left you in the past. Somebody needs to hear this. You cannot receive what's coming to you in the future if you're still holding on to what left you in the past. Number three, Jesus modeled expectation. He had authenticity. He had acceptance. He modeled expectation. Jesus stated multiple times his expectation of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Paul said this in, in Philippians 3. Again, he's talking to a church who's going through a lot of loss, a lot of persecution. They lost, you know, they lost loved ones. They lost position. They lost monetary status. They lost all, all these things. Classes, I mean, people, as soon as they became believers, they were losing a lot. I mean, were, things were getting taken away. And this is what Paul lost a lot. He lost status and monetary wealth. And he, he lost a whole lot of things. You know, when he decided to be a follower, and this is what he said to the church. He said in Philippians uh, 3, 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't figured all this out. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on uh, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul wasn't lamenting what he lost. He said, I, I, he, he wasn't denying that he lost. He says, I, I remember my, what was behind me. I remember what was there. But he says, I'm choosing to, to press forward and to lean forward. And your comeback is going gonna, is gonna to require some expectation of the future. It's not denying the past. It's just saying I have expectation to press on toward the goal. And number four is advancement. Jesus modeled authenticity. He modeled acceptance. He modeled expectation. He modeled advancement. You need to be willing. Listen to me. Listen, 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 listen. This is so key. You need to be willing to move on without explanations. Because too often when we suffer loss... The thing we get stuck in is why? Why did that happen? Why? And in order to advance, listen, the advancement, Jesus didn't get stuck on. He didn't let Martha get stuck in. He didn't let his disciples get stuck in. 
he, he focused them on advancement. And what, what happens, you have to be willing to move on without explanations. God didn't ever give Job an explanation as to everything that happened to him. And God didn't give Job back everything that he lost. But he did give back to Job what he lost had given him. Just need to catch that. He didn't get back what he lost, but he did get back what he lost had given him. And sometimes we get stuck because we're looking for the exp explanations and, and the understanding. We get stuck and why? And why does this happen? Why that happen? And we need to be able to get to the place where we just trust God anyway, have faith in God, and we got to get to this place where we're okay with moving ahead. We need to advance even though we don't have all the answers. And realize that we will never get back maybe what we lost. But God is a good God, and he will replace what we lost with something that will give us what we lost, gave us. Today's takeaway is this. Good grief is when you are able to process the pain of the present without losing your hope for the future. Good grief, proper grief, is when you're able to process the pain, not deny it, of the present without losing your hope for the future. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a good God. I thank you. You promise in your word that what the devil's taken from us, you will restore 30, 60, 100 fold. God, I thank you that you, you are in control. You never lost control. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I thank you that you are there to lean on as an anchor that will not give up no matter the pressure put on. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to process what we have lost. God, I pray that we would be able to find that balance between faith and hope, as well as the reality of the present. I thank you, Jesus, for modeling it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if this is your first time watching with us today, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for spending time here with us today and welcome to my victory. This is what we're all about. We're all about bringing people who were far from God and introducing them to a God that loves them, accepts them just for who they are and for right where they're at. I know that this message from Pastor Kelly today has hit some of you, whether you're here in the building or whether you're watching distantly. And um, because of that, we always want to give an opportunity for people who are watching distantly to become part of the family of God. That's right. It says in the scriptures that if you confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart, that God sent his son down the cross for you, then you can be saved and have a relationship with him. 
And what we're going to do for the chat is we're going to throw up a link that says, I have decided. And if you're saying this prayer for the first time at the end of this prayer, I want you to click that link and we're going to have one of our amazing host teams get in touch with you and reach out to you and, and show you the next steps of what this means. What does this all entail to become part of a part of the family of God? I'll tell you what it does, does not entail. It does not entail that you're a member of a church. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just simply means that you have relationship with God. It's not tying you to any organization. It just simply means that you have relationship with God. So why don't we just go ahead and do that right now and pray with me. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for everything that you've done, everything that you've done without me knowing. And I ask you today to come into my life, be the Lord of my life, be my savior and my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin a new life with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. What a powerful prayer. If you're at home, I just want you to give it a round of applause for the people that said that prayer for the first time all over the world today. And if you did say that prayer for the first time, if you're bold enough, why don't you just throw a hand up in the chat and say, I, I made that prayer for the, I made that commitment for the first time today. What a powerful decision and welcome to the family of God. This is what we're all about. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.